0: As was mentioned, we are really continuing. I started a little bit early on Sunday uh, with the idea of refocusing on the family. Uh, Remember, we're talking about focusing or refocusing. Uh, Sometimes that means some adjustment, uh, like driving down the the road. You've got to make corrections along the way, uh, as you're going to do with the steering wheel. You're going to get a little one way or the other, so you've got to correct that to get the focus back on. Sometimes we lose our focus. Sometimes our focus is directed somewhere else. Sometimes the focus is just a little fuzzy and we need to get refocused on what we're trying to do. And we are specifically focusing on the family. Psalm 127, one says, "'Except the Lord build the house, "'they labor in vain that build it. "'Except the Lord keep the city, "'the watchman wake, waiteth, uh, waketh but in vain.'" And so we're talking about building that, that family As he says, we're going to build the house. And in some cases, that means the family. He's not talking about uh, literally building a house. He's talking about the family here. And so we want the Lord to build that house. As we talked about Sunday morning, that means that we got to hear and do what Jesus says to do, what God says to do, and that means that our family will endure whatever storms come our way. And so that's what we're going to try to do is to build on that concept It will be really easy as we talk about uh, the husbands for the wives to be nudging their husband and saying, are you listening to this? I don't want you doing that. Husbands, don't do that to the wives as we talk to the wives. Don't do that as parents. Don't nudge your kids. I hope you're paying attention to Ephesians 6 and verse 1. You can talk about it on the way home. Certainly have that. This is about listening to what God has to say to you in relationship to your family, not the other way around. I can tell you I learned a long time ago in my marriage that the only person I can control in that marriage was me. I'm not controlling Lori. There's, there's no way. If you know Lori at all, that ain't happening. But even besides that, that's not my job to control her. My job is to control me. So, I want to think about those things as we look uh, deeper into those uh, types of things that God tells us to do to help us with whatever role we have to play in the family. This evening, we're going to look specifically at the standard for marriage, and that being Christ and the church. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Certainly here, uh, uh, Paul is going to talk about the marriage relationship as a husband and a wife. He's also going to talk about Christ and the church. And I think a lot of times as we enter a study on Ephesians chapter 5, we talk a lot about the husbands and wives, and we use the illustration of Christ and the church, or we talk about, and when we don't really talk about or focus on that relationship of Christ and the church, that being the standard for all marriages. And so, that's going to be our focus this evening, as we're specifically going to talk about Christ and the church as it pertains to Ephesians chapter 5. So if you would, I don't have this passage on the screen, because it's a little bit of a lengthy verse, so we're going old school. Pick out, pull out your Bible. I say we're going old school. Some of you are probably going to do this on your phone. That's okay, too. I'm going to do it old school. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse number 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. We notice there in verse number 32, he says there that this is a mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. We'll talk about the great mystery in just a little while. But this passage is certainly talking about Christ and the church. And so we want to take a moment this evening and really dive into what the passage is saying about that relationship of Jesus and his wife, his bride. And I believe that will set the standard, uh, at least for the next two nights on this subject. In, in verse 23, first of all, it says that Christ is the head of the church. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, this is after Jesus had been resurrected, and he is uh, talking to his apostles here, his disciples, the 11 that remained. Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus has all power. Now, whether we recognize that power or not is up to us, but Jesus has the authority granted to him. See, what he did on the cross and what he did in the resurrection was justified in giving him the power and the authority that was given him so that he would be the head of the church. Would you think about the type of power that Jesus has? (coughs) The power that he has even over nature to begin with. And we see this throughout the Gospels and the different readings that we find there and the miracles that Jesus did. These are miracles mean something that's outside of nature. So with the natural things, he calmed the sea. Winds and waves and storms, and all he said was, peace, be still, and all was calm. That's power. That is authority. He saw a fig tree that wasn't producing fruit, and it withered at his command. That's his power. He's able to calm the sea. He's able to control nature with the authority that he has given to him by God, by his Father. Not only does he have power over nature, he has power over the spiritual realm as well. There was a a man that was lame, and he said, your sins are forgiven. And they began to murmur. And think to themselves, who does he think he is that he can forgive sins? So he said, which is easier? To forgive sins or to raise him so that he could walk or to heal him? He said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And he walked. See, Jesus has the power to forgive sins. We don't have the power to forgive sins. Jesus has that authority and him alone. Not only that, This lunatic had a legion of demons inside him. They knew what he was about. They said, "Don't you've come to torture us before it's time. Not yet. Because they knew he was the son of God. They said, if you're going to cast us out, cast us out into the swine. And that's what he did. He cast them out and they went into the swine and then they went over the cliff. See, Jesus has power even over the demons. That's the authority that Jesus has. He also has authority over the physical things of our life. I didn't know a real good word to say this. There's nature, then there's spiritual, then there are our own life. Notice this, what he says, or what happened here. Lazarus had been dead for four days. They said, behold, he stinks. And he says, come forth. And he came forth. When he was going to the cross, he says that he could have called 12 legions of angels and saved himself from death. That's the kind of authority that he has, that he has the power of life and death in his hands. Look at all the power that he has. So he is the head of the church with all that authority. And then we have him teaching in Mark 10 and verse 42. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that uh, they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister or servant. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. All that power, all of that authority that he holds life and death in his hands, that he controls the spiritual realm if he decides to. He says but that's not my leadership. My leadership is servant leadership. If you want to be the chiefest, if you want to be the chiefest husband, be that kind of a servant. He said I'm going to I give my life, my ransom, a ransom for many, give my life a ransom for many. I'll get it right in just a minute. That's what he's doing. With all that authority, is he is the, a servant leader. Now certainly, they would have been very aware of the type of leadership that was going on there. He's talking about these Gentiles. He's talking about Rome. And how they came in and exercised lordship over them and said, this is how it's going to be. And they demanded that it be that way. And submit or die. And Jesus is, I'll die so you can Submit. You see the difference? That's a servant leader. And he had all the power in all the world. And he gave his life to set us free. So he says, therefore, the church is subject unto Christ. God certainly has given him the role of head and the role of the authority in the relationship. But he is one who has given us a reason, not just because he has authority, but he's given us a reason to serve him because he has set us free, because he's willing to sacrifice himself in such a way, because he's willing to serve us. We're subject unto him. It makes sense that we would be subject unto him, but he even gives us a reason why and a call to do that. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1 says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. See, we're subject unto Christ. Because Christ suffered in the flesh, we have the, should have the same mindset that we suffer in the flesh. You know how he suffered in the flesh? He died in the flesh. So we die to our flesh. That's how we suffer in the flesh. We talked about Sunday morning denying ourselves. That's what he's talking about. We sacrifice, mortify the deeds of the body. We suffer in the flesh. For what reason? To be one with Christ. To be one with our husband. To submit to him. To submit to his will. And not be our own, to willingly submit ourselves to Him because He willingly gave Himself for us so that we can be a part of His family. So we follow that servant type of leadership and submit to His authority in that as well. So, first of all, we see that Christ is the head of the church. We also see about Him that He is the Savior of the body. So He's the head and He's the Savior. How he does that in Ephesians 5 verse 25 says Christ also loved the church. He loves us. There's no doubt about that, that he loves us. In John 15 verse 13 he says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Is that not what Jesus did? Did he not lay down his life for his friends? Matter of fact, Romans 5 tells us that he laid down his life even when we weren't friends. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for us. That's why he's the savior of the body. Because he loves us to lay down his life for us. Revelation 1 verse 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins, How? In his own blood. That's why he's the savior of the body. Because he loved us and he shed his blood in his death so that we can have access to him. So that we can be washed from our sins that make us unclean to him. And so that's what he did uh, to show his love for us. He goes on and says he loved the church and he gave himself for it. The type of leadership of Christ, the head of the family, is that he gives himself for the church. He give himself for his bride. Acts 20 and verse 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, <coughs> excuse me, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. We see this again. We see this. Blood coming up and how he purchased us with his blood. He gave his life a ransom for the church to set us free. It's in his blood that we have that relationship. It's in his blood that he purchased us, that he gave himself for the church. That's how much he loves us and gives himself for us. He is a giving savior. He is a giving Lord and a giving head of the family. Then he goes on and says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Think about Revelation 1 and verse 5 again for just a moment. He loved us and washed us in his own blood. And this tells us that we're sanctified and cleansed with the washing of water by the word. That's what he does. In Acts 22 and verse 16, and now why tarriest thou Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You see, it's the love of Jesus that compelled him to give himself on the cross, to shed his blood, and it's that very blood that gives the water the power to wash away our sins. And in this sense, it is to present to himself, as we go on, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy And without blemish. The type of leadership that Jesus provides for his bride. Is one that presents her glorious. That makes her better. That encourages her and helps her. That's the type of leadership that Christ provides for his bride. That he would make her that much better. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 says. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. See, what Jesus did in bringing that grace to us, bringing salvation to us, it teaches us to submit to him. It encourages us to submit to Him because when we do, we're better for it. We're special people because of Him. And He set us apart to do that. He presents us to Himself a glorious church. He improves our lives. He improves who we are. That's His leadership in this home that we call the church, in this family. Ephesians 5 goes on to say in verse 30 that we are members of his body. He died to help us to unite with him. See, it's not just about him being head. It's about us being one. We're members of his body. Verse 31, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So he talks about this members of his own body, and then he refers to this type of language, which we know from Genesis chapter 2 is what was said about marriage. But in verse number 30, we'll see how this works. I almost messed up there. But I want to talk about this leaving father and mother and joining to his wife. How did Jesus do that? But we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels. For the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren... Saying, I will declare thy name in the midst, of, uh, 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 unto my brethren. In the midst of the church, will I sing praise unto thee. See, Jesus is God in every way. He is God, but He made Himself lower than the angels. See, He left His Father. That's what He did. He left His Father for what purpose? Oneness with you and me. So he could join to his bride. That's what he did. And when he was on the cross, remember that he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For one moment in all of eternity, he was completely separated from his father because of the sin and the guilt of that sin that was placed on him because of you and me. So that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So that we could be united with Him. Talk about leaving Father. That's what He did. So that we could be at one with Him. And it's no different for the church. Notice in Philippians 3, as Paul talks about this leaving in verse 7 through 10. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord... He said, I could have gained anything in this world that I lived in. And certainly he could have. He was educated, highly educated. Among the Jews and the Pharisees, he was one of the best. And he gave all that up and he said, all that was useless to me if I don't have Christ. But with Christ, all that's useless. It's dung. It's garbage. That's all that stuff is. Because I want to know Jesus. I want Jesus. I want unity and oneness with Jesus. That's what it means for us to leave all of that behind. Who we are, who we were, we leave that behind so that we could be at one with Jesus. So when he says that we are of his flesh and of his bones, we are a part of him. Oneness is his goal. Oneness is the idea behind this. And this is a vow Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. So woman, when she was created, all these animals come out. And there was not a help that was suitable for her. She's not a piece of meat. She's not a help meat. She's help meat for him. That's the idea. Because the animals weren't enough. So God created the woman, the gift for him, a gift for man. This, the rib was taken out of man. And so he said, she is a part of me. My vow to you is you are a part of me. You are a bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. They're one. That's how we are members of his body. He says, for no one ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. See, the Lord nourishes and cherishes the church because we are his body. Because we are one. Normally, we don't do things that harm our own physical body. Normally. Sometimes we do. But that's not the idea of what he's talking about here. He's talking about actually nourishing and cherishing the, the, the our body just as the Lord does the church because we are that body that's his vow to us that he's going to nourish and cherish us see in Matthew 26 and verse 28 says for this is my blood in the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins notice uh, that word testament If we notice in the New King James is covenant the marriage is a covenant it is a covenant relationship and the A covenant is a lot like a contract, but it's different. And to quickly illustrate the difference, a covenant is a marriage, which is based on promises. I vow to do this in sickness and health and so on and so forth. You know, the vows that we make, that's what a marriage is. A contract is a prenuptial agreement that says, just in case, I'm going to hold this back. That's the difference between a covenant and a contract. Jesus is saying, I'm making a covenant with you. This is my promise. Your sins will be forgiven under this covenant. He cherishes his body. He nourishes his body. That's the vow. That's the promise as we enter this new covenant with him. And they too shall be one flesh. The idea of the one flesh relationship is that what Christ wants is, and what Christ stands for is what we stand for, what the church stands for. Notice, again, in verse 32, he says, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. What is a great mystery? He's talking about the one flesh relationship. That's the great mystery. But he says, I'm speaking to you these things concerning Christ and the church. The one flesh relationship, we are members of His body. We are one, united with Him through the covenant relationship that we have with Him. That's what He's talking about when He talks about these things. And so we're in that relationship. Notice Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. It says, And hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. You see, the church is an extension of Jesus, of his headship. Jesus has gone to heaven to sit at the right hand of his father. We, as his body, carry out the work of the head. And so in that way, we are a fulfillment of the plan of God, which means that we fulfill him. And he is the fullness that fills all in all. I'm not recommending necessarily that you go see this movie, but there's a movie that came out several years ago. It was called uh, Jerry Maguire. There's two quotes that came out of that particular movie. Number one, show me the money. I'm not interested in that one. But the second one is he was trying to win her back, and he comes to her and he says, you complete me. The church completes Jesus. Jesus completes the church. We're one. We are united. If we're submitting to Him, that's the idea of this bringing together, this one flesh relationship with our husband, that being Christ. What use is a head without a body? And what use is a body without a head? See how it works? Why he uses this particular illustration? Because we see the one flesh relationship that's going on between Christ and his bride. We are to work together in union, not opposed to that union. But he says, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. At the end of the day, husbands, you're to love as Christ loved the church. You're to be the head and the savior of your family. You are to love your wife. The type of leadership in your home ought to be servant leadership. You ought to give yourself and sacrifice to oneness in the family because you are to be one flesh as you leave father and mother and become united together. And for the church, this is a, to help the wives to recognize their role, that they are to be subject to Christ, to their husband, as the church is subject to Christ. Because he is the head, because God gave him that role, we should honor our husband in that way. We are to show reverence to our husband, that's respect and honor to our husband and then one flesh. See, the wife is responsible for the... She needs to leave father and mother too. And she shows that in a very... In a different way. She shows that in submission to the leadership role for the husband. So you see, this is the standard by which all marriages should be is based on the marriage of Christ and the church. And before I talked any more about the responsibility of husbands and wives, I thought it was appropriate to talk about specifically that role and what it means, what it really means for Christ being ahead of the church to do what he did for us so that he, we would submit to him. My question for you this evening is have you left, have you left your life behind? Have you left sin behind? Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus that sets you free That he might present you to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle? Have you been baptized where we find the power in that blood, so that you could be one with Jesus Christ? Have you done that? If not, make that choice tonight. Won't you be his bride? Won't you come to him this evening and have be washed in the blood and submit to his authority? See, all the rest, the baptizing part really is the easy part. It's the submitting. We've got to give it all up and submit to him. And he's the type of leader that we should want to follow, that we should want to submit to and be one with.